the difference here is, is they are convinced 100% that they are killing for God, not for the prophet at that point, but because God told the prophet to have it done. And when you are doing it for God, there's lots of different examples of this, then suddenly even murder becomes okay somehow. Welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Lisa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kiddos. Yes, we do. Today we are covering the second episode of a Hulu documentary series called Daughters of a Cult. Yes. We have done part one. If you haven't seen that, you can click above here. But this one, whoo, it kind of left on quite the cliffhanger at the end of episode one, where both Rena and Ramona are told by Irva LeBaron that they need to go and kill Roland Allred. Right. Yes, it's all about the LeBaron group here, specifically Herbal LeBaron. And it is right from the beginning here. We'll get into all of these different points, but oh my gosh. The similarities between Herbal LeBaron and Warren Jeffs were just astounding. Not surprising, but it's just crazy to see how similar the two of them were. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's really going to be a huge theme. We'll talk about something that happened and then compare it to the FLDS. This is one of those where it was like yeah. every single thing that I wrote down in my notes, we just looked at each other like, how do these men end up in the same place? Like, it is, it's crazy. It so, is. the episode starts though, right from the beginning, where Rena does go in and shoots and kills um, Roland Allred. And talk about brutal, like goes in, shoots him like four times, they leave in a commotion, they're threatening patients on their way out, and then she's like, I had to make sure he was dead, so I went back and because shot Because that was him. the mission. Yeah. So it sounds like four rounds in his chest, and then she went back just to make sure and shot him right in the head. Yeah, so uh, it's so... Uh, the daughters in this documentary, I think, word it really well when they talk about the fact that you know, investigators or people from the outside, they're like, to be able to do that to a person, you have to be pretty cold hearted. Like you have to be cold as stone to not only shoot somebody because most people aren't actually capable of that, right. let alone to go back in just to make sure and finish it in even a more brutal way. And at the same time, the sisters were talking about the fact that people can't understand the depths of brainwashing and the lengths people will go if they believe that it's for God, yeah. unless you've experienced it. And that is exactly what it comes down to, that the people from the outside looking at these cults or these groups that do these awful things, it's so hard to wrap your head around. How is it possible that someone could kill for their leader or their prophet? But the difference here is, is they are convinced 100% that they are killing for God not for the prophet at that point, but because God told the prophet to have it done. And when you are doing it for God, there's lots of different examples of this, then suddenly even murder becomes okay somehow. Yeah, when Sam saw this, he was like, well, you know, we see times where people will say, oh, they were needed on the other side, or, you know, God just wanted them home, and that's why this tragedy happened. He goes, not only is there rhetoric like that, but there's tons of examples in the scriptures of God commanding people to be killed. And especially, like, within the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. in the very first book, <laughs> first book of Nephi, you know, Nephi 
is told to slay a man and he was drunk on the ground. It wasn't being attacked. It wasn't self-defense. And God told Nephi that he needed to cut off the head of Laban. So there's these examples that are very close to, to home in the sense of like anybody with a Mormonism is reading the Book of Mormon consistently and reading that and taking that in his doctrine. And if God's telling Nephi to kill somebody, why couldn't God tell me to kill somebody. Right. And that's probably exactly what Ervil used to convince his followers that it's okay. Because if you can find it out of the scriptures they read, this is what God is commanding his people to do, why would it be any different today? If you can use that and twist it in a way to make it seem like it's all fine and it's what God just does and that's what he wants if he commands his his prophet to do so, then it's you can see how people could be convinced, I guess you could say. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that all of these people were afraid for their own lives and also afraid that they were going to let God down, which what does that mean for them in the next life if they let God down, right? Mm -hmm. So it was. there's a lot going on here. It wasn't just some crazy girl that wanted to go kill somebody. There's a lot of manipulation, a lot of coercion, and a lot of protecting themselves from possibly being murdered from Ervil himself. Yeah, watching... Rule and Allred's sons talk about that horrific experience. I mean, he was a doctor, he was in his practice when it happened. They're all hearing these things and they were talking about how as far as like a normal police investigation goes, there wasn't a lot of evidence, but there were other people from Rule and Allred's group and family and people in that church, which I was surprised to know is 12,000 people, which is yeah. a pretty large group that he was the prophet of. And they talked about the fact that they had been getting threats from the Ervil LeBaron group. And that's kind of what first led the police to look at that aspect of it. Because as far as, you know, we're so used to in this day and age that there's security cameras everywhere. There's always camera footage. Someone has camera footage of every single thing that happens in one way or another. And so here in 1977, you know, they don't have that and they have no clue. They're like, we know that it's girls in disguises and that's all we know. Yeah. And they didn't have any idea that it was coming from Ervil until they heard some of the people that had had those threats from Ervil's people. And at that point, it's still, they didn't really have much to go on. Like, okay, well, how do we find Ervil? How do we find the, these girls that supposedly did this, you know? So it was a really difficult investigation and so hard to try to find any information. But it was interesting to hear from people within the Baron group, or at least that have found out information later, that the reason for killing Rulin uh, Allred wasn't just because he wanted him dead and wanted more followers for himself, but there was another reason for that, and it was because he wanted to lure his brother out, of, out from hiding and kill his own brother because he knew that his own brother would show up to the funeral for Allred, for Rulin Allred because they were great friends. Yes, and that was, you know, one of the people in there said that it was like evil genius status. Like, this wasn't a quick, oh, just go do this one thing, go hit this one person. It was very well thought out and planned yeah. to lure out Verlin. And they did, and Verlin did go. And luckily there was such a police presence at that point because they knew something was going on that there were enough police there to stop the attackers because there were guys that were there ready were with them. automatic rifles ready to go and they decided that they couldn't because of how high profile and how much law enforcement was there. Right. It was interesting to see the pieces come together in the craziest ways for the law enforcement. You know, they talked about some guys were dumpster diving 
and they found the bags with like the wigs and the boxes and they were able to find out the murder weapon and they're like this only happens in movies like this couldn't be real life and yeah. they were starting to piece together these things from Colorado and and be able to slowly put together what was happening right and so they found out well allegedly they found out who the girl was that pulled the trigger they found out who bought the gun and all of these things and so from there they started putting the pieces together and but still there was how do we find them who where are they you know and so it was still a long time before they actually were able to track anyone down yeah and i think you know they the daughters here in this documentary were talking about the fact that you know they their house had been raided in denver and how scary that was and they're just slowly law enforcement is trying to find these adults that are on this list, um, then they put Orville on the top 10 most wanted list. And that is another one that is so close to home for me because I was still living in the FLDS and following Warren Jeffs at the time that he was put on the top 10 most wanted list from the FBI as well. And how scary that was for me and how there were people showing up into our town trying to break into meeting houses and trying to find Warren Jeffs. And, just as a young boy, how scary that was. Thankfully, it was never in my own home. I can't imagine how scary that would have been for these children to have people barging into their homes. But, but yes, I can relate to some extent that having your leader being on the top 10 most wanted didn't phase my faith in him, not for a second. It was because of the way we were taught. It was the outside wicked world fighting against the truth and fighting against God's church and that was the mindset that I had and I'm sure all of these people had during the time too. Yeah, some of the things that the the girls were saying that as when they were children reminded me a lot of your childhood as well. Mm -hmm. They were talking about the fact that as soon as you were old enough, you were put to work. At yes. nine, ten years old, working twelve hour days. So I was a little bit older than that, but I do know that within the FLDS, there were people that young that were put to work right away. And yeah, so that was definitely happening in the FLDS as well, unfortunately, and just making, I mean, almost like slaves in, in some sense. They were just there having to work, and in this case, they were yelled at and shouted at, and who, who knows, probably beat if they weren't working hard from Dan, it sounds like. And then she mentioned that if they complained... They were told that that's, you know, the first step to insanity, right? Mm -hmm. That, what was if they, it? If they felt sorry for themselves. Feeling sorry for yourself is the first step to insanity. Insanity was equal to being possessed by the devil. Which I was like, oh my word. Like fear, ta fear tactics for the kids, right? Right. And, and that feeling sorry for yourself, I think is pretty commonly used in high demand groups like this. Because if you start complaining or you start asking questions or whatever the case may be you are immediately it's turned back on you that oh you're just feeling far, sorry for yourself oh you're just not strong enough to do god's work you know and so immediately it's turned back on the person to make them feel like there's something wrong with them not with the process mm -hmm. so it's just a very scary tactic that people use yeah and they talked about the fact that you know they would look out and think oh i wonder what my life would be like normal and then they would snap out of it because they would think, well, but I'm building Zion and I am chosen and I'm a, you know, celestial children mm -hmm. and I'm privileged to get to live this life. Right. And speaking of the, you know, claiming that people are insane if they feel sorry for themselves or if they complain, 
you know, well, that also kind of made me think of the saying, keep sweet from within the FLDS, that you're supposed to just keep sweet. Just do what you're told. Don't ask questions. Be happy about it. Convince yourself you're happy if you're not. Do what you're supposed to do, especially the women. And so this sounded very similar. And then going on to the insane portion of it, if you complain that you're somehow insane and that means that you're then possessed somehow, that goes to, I forget her name. Rebecca. Rebecca. who Herbal's was daughter. Herbal's own daughter, who they thought was insane. But, but I don't know how, okay, but they also, she was 17 years old and pregnant with her second child after being forced to be a child bride. And then they wonder why she had mental illness. Yes, she had a very good reason to not be, I guess, just going along and all happy like nothing was going on in her life because she had every right to have some kind of illness, right? Yeah. And anyway, they took it as a sign that she was going to turn against the church and that she was somehow possessed. And Ervil killed her, his own daughter, uh, maybe most likely had someone do it, not himself. The, and she was pregnant, pregnant at the time, and she had her killed. I just, that just goes to show the, the I, I don't even know, I don't know the word for how insane that makes him look. The evilness. I don't even, yeah, I don't, it's not even a word, but like yeah. the evil nature of him at that point and what he can do. And going back to comparing it to Warren Jeffs, I mean, Warren Jeffs might not have had his daughters killed. He had... People um, <clears throat> threatened his wives. We know Brielle's story, mm -hmm. right? Um, that if she didn't commit suicide, someone was going to kill her. He did put his own daughters away from their children and put them in house of hiding or houses of hiding like Rachel Jeffs. So he was, and that's after having abused them most, most of their lives, right? So the lengths that these evil men go to to hurt everybody and they don't even stop if anything sometimes they're even worse to their own family is so heartbreaking and so disgusting that it's just you know, infuriating I, I hesitate to even say this because it just makes me so sick inside and scared for my family and loved ones that still believe in and follow warren jeffs but there are plenty of rumors out there that he did have people killed that he was afraid that they would talk about something that he didn't want to get out. And I had, one of the stories is rumored that there is a there was a young girl from Canada that he actually told people to go find and kill. And so, you know, maybe there's not as much evidence out there as there was for the Herbal LeBaron group and what they were doing. But the fact that there are those types of stories about what Warren Jeffs was having his people do is a very frightening thought. Yeah. One of his sons finally had had enough, and I think it was Herbal's first wife and then his uh, son from that marriage did go to the police, and he had been in some of these crazy meetings where they were plotting murder, and so the entire time I was a little bit on pins and needles, like, oh no, is something going to happen to him? Hopefully law enforcement protects him, and they haven't finished, I think, his storyline, right. but that did help the police kind of connect a lot of the dots of what was going on, the fact that, you know, this is happening in Mexico, they're hiding out of Mexico, they're trying to work with Mexican law enforcement, but that was kind of tough to work um, internationally, and eventually the Mexican police, they say, okay, we're gonna like do something about this and figure out what's going on because they're murdering in Mexico as well. Mm -hmm. And so they do perform raids there. And 
when they do these raids, it was crazy because one, the same poor sister that's in this documentary that's speaking at nine years old was living with um, a family and a man who was grooming her at nine years old to be a, to be a bride. And she got to meet her father in that house for the first time at nine years old. And she's in Mexico and going through all this. And she had been in the raid in Denver and now she's in the raid in Mexico and they are able to get Dan and they actually did another raid at the same time that... And they caught, what's her name? Uh, uh, Rena. They got Rena and Dan were both in the same house. Yeah. So they, they caught both of them. And then at the other house, they did catch Ervil, but they said he looked so sloppy. He did not look like anybody of any importance. And so they didn't believe it was him. And when they asked Dan, who looked like he was important, are you Ervil? And Dan said, yes, I am. And so he took the fall for the prophet, the prophet or Ervil's faults and uh, everything and crimes and things that he was being hunted for. And and they took him to prison thinking that he was Ervil, thinking Dan was Ervil. And then Ervil escaped again. So it's just so frustrating that they actually had him and they... Not because that's what they wanted, but unfortunately let him go again. And that's kind of where the episode ended, so we don't know what happens with Herbal at this point. But wow, just when we thought the story couldn't get any crazier, it's just one thing after another. It's just a mind-blowing... Oh. Mind-blowing ride, for sure. And at that point, too, Herbal being in Mexico, this was just another thing that I felt like was similar to Warren Jeffs as well, is he's just writing like a madman, and he was sending letters to the president. He was telling people, he, he had sent a letter to Jimmy Carter saying that he needed to pay tithing to him. He's sending things all over the world and sending, you know, revelations and this and that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like Warren Jeffs as well. Just right. sending things everywhere, just trying. He thought he was going to be the prophet, like, of the world. You know, isn't that everybody that, was going to believe Isn't them. that interesting? And it seems like it's pretty common. These men of these small groups rise up and they start feeling all of this power because the people that follow them are following them so faithfully that they feel like they could control the world somehow. And I feel like this has happened not only in religion, but in other, in other groups of people. When someone feels so powerful, they feel like they can take over the world. And that's what they ultimately try to do in a way or another. And another thing is, like you said, that he was writing down all of these revelations or these orders that he would have people do. He was always writing. And once again, even today, Warren Jeffs in his prison cell, always writing. Right, right, right. He's writing all these revelations, as he's claiming, and sending them to his people on how to eat, how to do their laundry, how to clean their house, how everything has to be done in order in a specific way. And they continue to follow those, those uh, so-called revelations from him today. Yeah, so scary stuff. Obviously, again, it ends there with Ervil being released. I wonder how long it's going to take before they realize that Dan is not Ervil mm -hmm. and what that whole process is going to look like. So stay tuned for next week when we release part three. But if you want to hear more of what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy or things like this where we can compare some of these documentaries to the FLDS, to Warren Jeffs, and show similarities and differences there, then please like and subscribe. Yes, thank you all so much for being here with us again, and we look forward to talking with you soon. We'll talk to y'all soon.